This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello, and welcome to the Legal Lounge, where we now release new episodes every Monday. If you haven't heard previous shows, there's plenty of content for you. If you're going through a divorce, want to know more about claiming for injuries, or you're training to be a lawyer, you can listen to these shows on your favourite podcast app and get more information by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. In this episode, private client solicitors Edward Rees and Amy Johnson discuss all things wills, including the end of legislation brought in during the COVID pandemic, which allowed people to execute a will via video. They talk about the storage of wills and how to locate a will when someone passes away. Update Your Will Week runs from the 4th to the 10th of March this year to encourage people to do wills, to ensure their wishes are carried out and to minimise disputes. Hello, I'm Edward and I'm a solicitor in our private client department and I'm joined today by my colleague Amy. What we're going to say is uh, an update from the Lanyon Bowdler private client news desk. The hot new things that are happening in the world of private client today or maybe over the course of the next couple of weeks or so. Yes, because I'm pleasant surprised for my Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> okay. What is the hottest news uh, in the private client world today uh, that we're going to have a ch- have a look at? I think the hottest news is regarding the change in legislation regarding the video witnessing of wills. And we've been informed today that this will be coming to an end and isn't going to get extended. OK, so this is um, something that came in during uh, COVID. I think it was the we went into lockdown, didn't we, uh, uh, with COVID late March 2020. Uh, So it seems like only a minute ago, but it's four years ago nearly. And then in June or July, I think it was, they brought in these regulations that amended the law so that you could, for the time being, execute a will uh, remotely. Because if we remind ourselves about uh, executing will for it to be valid how do what do we do it has to be in the presence of two independent witnesses all three people need to be in the same room at the same time the will is signed however with covid and the social isolation and social distancing that no longer became possible during that period therefore emergency legislation was put into place to try and combat that so people could still proceed to make wills during this period. The process that you had to follow to actually execute the will and for it to be valid and do everything remotely you know, with video links rather than everybody being in the room together uh, were extraordinarily complicated. and Quite prolonged. Yeah and really prolonged weren't they so if I remember rightly uh, you you had to have your video link with everybody, you know, the testator and then the two witnesses. Of course, they'd be in on a s- separate separate rooms on separate video links. So that all had to happen. And then having done that, the original will would then signed by the testator would then have to go to the witnesses. And then you'd have to go through the same process again, wouldn't you, with each of the witness. And then finally off to the, 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 the final witness and you'd have to go through the same process again. So it would involve three video meetings, I think, three separate yeah. video meetings until you had a, the, the final properly executed will. Well, did you ever do one of those, Amy? You weren't with us at the time, but did you, and you know, with your firm at the time, did you ever do that? We tried to avoid it if possible and kind of other ways around it, kind of witnessing through windows or people pull up in a car. 
and you do it that way so it was we kind of treated that as the last resort really yeah that that's the same for us we we never did uh, one of these video link wills but but there were a few witnesses through windows so the clients not very many of these but a few of them the clients would park in the in the in the car park uh, and they'd sit in the car and we'd pass them the will all wearing gloves and all with masks on and then we'd go back into one of the one of the meeting rooms and have a clear line of sight through the window in the car so that we could see them with their will through the windscreen so two layers of glass between us but we had a clear line of sight and and then they would sign it and we'd witness it while they were you know we'd see them signing it and then we'd go and retrieve the will and then we'd do the do the witnessing so it was a that was a bit of a rigmarole but we did a few of those and that was proper execution that was uh, that was a lawful uh, executed well, but none of the the video link stuff because it would have just been so incredibly difficult and complicated. You probably relied on Royal Mail actually getting the post to each witness as well. I think they were not so bad uh, at the time. It was subsequently, wasn't it, that they they became. We had a, about a year and a half later when uh, uh, things became a bit tricky at, uh, with the Royal Mail. But yeah, um, anyway, that's all over now. That's all. You can't do that at all, even if you were inclined to do so as of today. This is something that may come up again, because I suppose although we found it a challenge and and most, if not all lawyers I know in this area also found it a challenge and didn't really want to get involved in remote witnessing of wills. Uh, I think it's something that the Law Commission, who are looking at wills at the moment, may be looking at as part of their whole review of wills and making them kind of fit for purpose for the 21st century and this question of whether the wills act which is essentially victorian legislation again we've touched on this in an earlier podcast uh, should be updated and whether there are too many aspects of it that are not kind of fit for purpose for the 21st century and maybe this is something that they'll be looking at it it came up pre-covid but actually the profession when they were asked for their views on it if i remember rightly they weren't too keen on mucking around with either the number of witnesses or how you go about witnessing the will to make sure it's effective. I doubt that the profession's view of that has been changed much, if any, by the experience of COVID, but but we will see. So it may come back. For the moment, we're back to good old-fashioned, proper, non-virtual, everybody in the same room executing a will um, uh, everybody there all at the same time. So there we go. That a massively important news event. I'm surprised it wasn't scrolling on the BBC News newsfeed as we walked through uh, into the podcast studio. Anyway, so another thing uh, that's not really a hot news story, but uh, it's been suggested that we might want to touch on it. Uh, and maybe this is something that'll come up in the Law Commission review. Uh, that's uh, storage of your will. One of our regular listeners has asked, can we just clarify how you go about storing a will does it need to be stored in a special way does it have to be registered in some central location and also you know if you die how does anybody know how do your family how do your executives know where your will is so where are we up to on that what's the law on that when someone comes in and they've signed their will it's usual practice but not all the time that we would store the original here in the office and we'd let the the testator have a copy for their records. So the testator is the person who's done the will. Isn't done it? the will. Yeah. Um, we usually recommend keeping 
letting them have a copy because our address is usually on the front page of the will Mm -hmm. so therefore when they do pass away um, when family members or the executors do come across the copy of the will they would then be able to know to contact us to obtain a copy of the original will which is needed to be proved Mm -hmm. also though we do give the clients the option of registering their will with certainty which is a will database it's not compulsory to register your will with certainty there is an additional cost incurred and we would usually recommend that to people who have traveled around a lot if their family's not maybe based in shrewsbury or it is likely that they've lived in different places so could their will could possibly be stored in a few locations okay yeah or if they're butterfly clients, they've moved lawyers lots, those, those kind of people. If you are struggling to locate a copy of a will, then you can do a will search. I think there are different levels, but that's where the will register would contact um, the local solicitors in a certain area and ask them if they hold a will for the deceased and that is one way of if you can't find a copy of the will or if you're not sure if they made a will then that's one way to try and locate the will certainty is like you said it's not a compulsory thing or registering your will with a a national database it's not a compulsory thing uh your will is still valid uh, um, well, it's, it's valid without having to go through any sort of registration process, uh, but it's 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 a good it's good procedure, isn't it? Really, it's good practice. And I guess there there are other databases available as well. There isn't just certainty. I don't know if you can actually send oh, it yeah. directly to the probate registry. I think you can. can they, th- they will store it for you. I, I think you're. I think you're right. I just I never have done, and then it's always been recommend to the client that they want to store the will in our deeds room because it's all archived and it's logged and uh, and it's safe. Uh, not keep the original at home because it's not as safe and then yes that there is that option i think to to send it to the probate registry but again not a compulsory thing it's never been compulsory there are those who think it should be compulsory because of the risk of it getting lost if you keep it at home or uh it, it you move around and it not being quite clear which is the last will and yeah and, like and the, where, the risk of the wrong will being proven the, yeah absolutely and it's you know the wrong will proved by the wrong lawyers or, or whoever so maybe that's something the law commission would look at but I, it's it's been kind of looked at previously i think and i certainly for what that's worth would not favor registration of your will being a compulsory thing because you should be able to do a will as many, you know, redo your will as many times as you like, whenever you like. And that, and it shouldn't be the case, again, my humble opinion, that it's only valid if having gone through the process of doing the will, it's then registered with, you know, some national database uh, or with some state organisation that that's the thing that makes it valid. You should be, again, these are my views, you should be able to uh, change your will right up to your last breath if that's what you want to do uh, and and provided it's executed properly that's a valid will and that's your last will uh, and I would like to think that that view would be you know if the powers that be or the law commission are looking at it that they would they would take that view uh, that you shouldn't be restricted uh, by then having to go through a further process that then means you know that, that what you wanted to do is not valid because it hasn't been registered if i may counter you oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> it's that fine balance of providing flexibility to the client yeah. but also having that the certainty so 
for example... Are you just saying you don't want to do lots of deathbed wills? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Without a will register, if, say, a deceased child has been cut out of the will, they can easily claim it's an intestacy. They can go to the bank and claim it's an intestacy. Whereas if there is a register, then you could consult the register and would also be able to see that a will had also been made. I see what you mean, yes. Yes, it's that balance between uh, protecting the right to do what you want right up until your last breath with... uh, And making sure it's actually then carried out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I see that. Um, I guess I don't think it would risk invalidating your will, but I think it would be good to have a record of its existence. I think it's a good thing, but I'm not keen on the idea that your will would only be valid if it's gone through a registration process, um, that, that, it, that only then is it illegal. You know, so like the process that we have for registering lasting powers of attorney, that they can only be used. That's different though, isn't it? I mean, you know, it, the, the LPA, if it's not registered, provided it's been executed properly, as the law presently stands, is still valid. It just can't be activated until it's registered. I know it's a different thing, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see a world in which you can't change your will because it's got to go through this hurdle of, of registration. Registration. I sound like I feel really strongly about that. I suppose I do in the context of wills. I wouldn't get on your soapbox. Then. Yeah, it's not. It's not I don't think I'd, it's not a hill that I think is worth dying for. Yeah, there we go. But as we've got limited things to talk about on our hot probate news news desk today, there we go. Probate lawyer attacks at the idea of uh, compulsory will registration stop the stop the presses um there we are so um and we we very much like uh registration of wills with certainty don't we uh, so i'm not saying i'm not in favor of that i'm very much in favor of that i think it's really really good it helps guard against those things those those threats that we talked about you know the wrong will being proved a family member getting getting letters of administration on the basis that there is no will when there actually is a will if they're quick enough they might they might succeed in doing that uh, if if they're that way inclined so uh, i'm all in favor of of uh, registration and uh, specifically uh, certainty which we use and we recommend our clients to use don't we yes but actually it's also important to know that we can't disclose to to executors whether or not we do hold a will for anyone um, unless we've seen a death certificate. So it is only something we can discuss with other people um, once you have passed away. So we can't disclose that information. It is a private document. It absolutely is. And again, we, we talked about that on an earlier podcast. It's a confidential document. And then when certainly until you pass away, it it's not going anywhere and we're not discussing it with anybody without your you, the testator's authority. And when you die... We have to see the death certificate and then it's the it's the executors, isn't it? Like we've talked about previously. Although there is this database, although there's this registration that we're recommending, it's still a confidential process, isn't it? It's not like you're putting your will online and everybody can see it. Uh, it's definitely not that, is it? No, and they just have your details. I don't think it's like they don't actually have a copy of the will. You can have the will uploaded to their database. Uh, don't have to, but you can. It's not something that's publicly viewable, uh, and it's it's not a. There's, there's no sort of way in which members of the public could get access to your will and know what you wanted to do, which would be a terrible data breach. So there's no, there's no way that that, uh, that 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 can happen. It's not publicly available information. It's a sensible way to safeguard the risk of the wrong will being proved after you've gone 
or no will being proved, which can happen. Right. OK, so let's move on to another hot topic. And this is news, actually. And whether it's earth shattering news, I don't know. But we've it'll affect the way we have to deal with things. I'm not too happy about it. And so that's to do with uh, changes to the process with uh, the IHT 400. So what is the IHT 400? What is the part of the process that is changing? So um, the IHT 400 is a inheritance tax return. And that is usually due when inheritance tax is payable, or there are certain exceptions to that where tax isn't payable, but a full return is required. The re- tax return has to get sent to HMRC. Um, whereas the probate application gets sent to the probate registry. So in order to combat delays between the receipt, which is issued by HMRC, when the return is received, it is then passed on to the probate registry. So to ensure that your probate application arrives at the probate registry at the same time as the receipt, They had previously instigated a rule where you had to wait 20 working days, i.e. four weeks, before submitting your probate application. And they had got to the point where you had to input the date you'd submitted your IHT 400 so that you couldn't jump the queue. But obviously that hadn't been as successful as they'd hoped for. So now... Once you've submitted your IHT 400, you'll receive a letter from HMRC with a with a code or a reference, which you then submit to the probate registry to confirm that you've awaited the requisite amount of time. It's not even submitting your probate applications. At that point, you can then prepare your probate application. Yeah, yeah there's probably teams of people who've, who've, who've come up with this adapted process, isn't there? There's probably a whole committee of people. Do you think they have designed it to try and speed up the process? I think they've designed it to marry things up more effectively. I think it will slow the process down. Because what we've done previously is we get all the information that we need from the client to prepare all their probate application paperwork. And they by that, we and they understand that to be the inheritance tax account if they need to do one and the stuff that we need to submit to the probate registry. And then the, we, we, we prepare all the forms and we've prepared all the online submission stuff for the probate registry. And then the client comes in or we meet with them on Zoom and we go through everything with them and they've seen all the drafts and then they sign it all off. And then we submit the, the stuff to the revenue and then we wait the 20 days and then we submit the, the stuff to the probate registry. So now we have to wait, don't we, until we've got that code back from the revenue before we can start completing the probate application stuff for, for the probate registry. We can't actually start, we can do all the tax return stuff, but we can't start even filling in in draft the online application for the probate registry my hmcts until we've got that code back from the revenue having waited our 20 working days i don't think that's progress and i don't think that's particularly helpful to the clients because it's then gonna it just what do we do do we have we have two meetings do we have to send the stuff on it's going to slow everything down for the client it might not slow it down for the probate registry but it's going to slow it down for the client so i'm not too happy about this no (laughs) i don't think anyone's going to take much notice of my unhappiness but (laughs) if you were to be positive oh sorry (laughs) i suppose because at the minute we've been waiting 20 working days there's a positive side to this so if they are actually processing it quicker and we can get that code within the 20 working days 
But then you suppose <laughs> you're then having to then prepare the probate application from scratch. Yeah. So, so it, okay. This is, you've got a much more positive outlook. You're hoping that the revenue will move things forward quicker and this actually then will speed the, yeah, up the Yeah, if you process. get the code quicker than the 20 working days that you're having to wait at the moment. Should we have a bet? Should have on, a race? Have, have a bet on, on, how, on, on whether the reality of the change to the process is that we are getting those, <laughs> uh, those codes in quicker than 20 working days. I'll bet you a fiver. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, no, I'll bet you a tenner. Uh, that we... Uh, I'm not a betting person. I was going to go for coffee, but yeah, I'll take, the, right, ten- I'll okay. take the tenner. <laughs> right, well, okay. Half a coffee. We'll share a coffee. No, tenner. Okay, I bet you a tenner it doesn't pan out in that way. But I'm pleased that you have such a positive outlook on life. It's good. It's great. I'm not bitter and jaundiced and broken down. And not yet. Beaten up like me. So uh, well done. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, maybe it will. So here's hoping. Uh, but it's it just... I just... I think it's going to be a bit clunky for the clients. The fact you can't actually even prepare... I can understand submitting yeah, it, yeah, but yeah. to actually even not let you to yeah, prepare it. Yeah, that, I didn't know that until this morning. So we worked with Vanessa and Julie over in Telford office and they do lots of these things. And uh, and she was saying, yeah, it won't even let me fill it in in draft. So she was showing me and I thought, well, that's, that's not progress. Not in my humble view anyway. So there we go. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll watch this space and see what happens. I suppose the, the positive thing is that at least they keep looking at these things and they keep tinkering with them. So they're prepared to look and change and adapt it with the aim of making it fit better. for purpose. Yeah, and fit, yeah absolutely. But, uh, and there have been changes that they made along the, along the way uh, that have made that online application process better and, and more suited to how professionals actually work with it. Or want to work with it. I don't want to jinx it, but I do feel like they are the 16 weeks that the government are currently quoting for the issue. Yeah. I do feel like some are sneaking in below that deadline at the moment. So they do seem to be coming in quicker at the moment as well. Yes. Did you say that the other day or did somebody else say so somebody else may have said that the other day that, that they seem to be moving things a bit quicker? Because again, we talked about this on an earlier podcast. Uh, this process is taking at least six, well, pretty much at least 16 weeks. We're not even allowed to chase up the probate registry. We can't even contact them for 16 weeks. So what used to be a two-week turnaround has turned into nearly half a year in many cases and longer in some cases. So they're under the cosh, aren't they? And uh, questions are being asked or uh, Select Committee of the House of Commons is, is looking at this. Um, so uh, we, we are detecting signs possibly that they're they're getting their game together on this and and turning things around a bit quicker but not much more quicker than the 16 weeks no unfortunately not we seem to have some lucky practitioners who who the rest of us it takes 16 weeks or longer and and they seem to get it under the net you know within a month or something like there's there's a julie uh, who i spoke about very briefly earlier, who works with, with Ness, she seems to get these... She's got the magic touch. She has the magic touch and she seems to turn things around, you know, really super quickly. So, uh, um, yeah, go, go, go see Julie because she, she has the probate practitioner's magic, magic touch, golden touch. Okay, there are bigger news stories out there. <laughs> but nonetheless, for us in our line of work, an issue of note uh, that will just slightly change how we have to approach things any other exciting developments in the world of private client uh, law review your will week review your will week yes so th- again hot news 
Today, a release from the Association of Lifetime Lawyers announcing that it will be their Update Your Will Week 2024, uh, which is running from the 4th to the 10th of March. So apologies to our hundreds of thousands of listeners if they're listening after the uh, the 10th of March and they miss out on this great opportunity. But uh, that week is the Association of Lifetime Lawyers Update Your Will Week. So, Association of Lifetime Lawyers. What is the Association of Lifetime Lawyers? It used to be known as Solicitors for the Elderly, yeah. and they specialise in providing legal advice for kind of the elderly and vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. Um, you, ha- they have practitioners who can apply for to to be a member, mm. and you can go on talks in local areas. They kind of have quite a big, can have. a meeting there are different layers of of memberships a few years ago you used to be able to be a member without having to go through any qualification process but now you can be an associate member or you can be a full member i think that's the way it works and you have to do a little exam if you're going to get full full membership i'm an associate member certainly of uh, of what used to be called solicitors for the elderly and you're right uh, the 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 thing of value that I've got out of it over the years most has been the regular seminars that we've had with the Shropshire Group that have been really high quality information and updates and lectures and all that sort of thing over the course of the last 20 years, uh, which is as long as I've been going to those. So so it's really good. I got a bit of, it's my soapbox. So I just don't know why they had to change the name. I don't know what was wrong with calling it Solicitors for the Elderly, which is what it had been. It does, does what it says on the tin. It does. What, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know whether it, they feel that they need to appeal to a wider... Younger the, generation. Or whether they think saying Solicitors for the elderly is elderly is a negative term but I don't know I don't like association of lifetime lawyers but I am still smarting over uh, the change from marathons to snickers uh, I haven't really got over that and uh, uh, lots of other things that I can't really cope with uh, the change in names so uh, I'm maybe not the best judge on this uh, okay so What's happening is update your will week uh, and they're saying between the 4th and 10th of March, the Association of Lifetime Lawyers will be encouraging more people to update their will and ensure their wishes are carried out when they die. So the press release says, why is having an up-to-date will important? And they're saying it's crucial in ensuring all your wishes are carried out in the way you'd like when you die. Uh, Knowing you've chosen what you want to happen can also ease the stress for loved ones left behind and minimise potential disputes. That's very much the message of any podcast that we've done that's even touched on wills uh so it's never too early to make your will they say as long as you're over the age of 18 uh, so one of the things they're saying is how often should i update my will because it's no good just doing a will and then leaving it there and never looking at it again uh they're saying posing the question how often should i update my will you haven't seen this press release amy so i'm going to ask you what do you how how long should you leave it do you think in your considered opinion as a highly respected probate practitioner how long should you leave it before you review your will three to five years however i would say if certain life events occurred Mm. then that would trigger a, a review earlier wow so for example if you were to get married this is almost exactly what they're saying it's fabulous (laughs) and that would automatically revoke your will so at that point you should definitely come back and look look at your situation at that time yeah yeah um, and make a new will yeah at that point definitely and then one of the things that uh 
I suppose it is it a life-changing event. You, we might not see it as life-changing, but you, you mentioned this to me. If you buy a new property, so if you buy a house, that in itself doesn't mean it's going to invalidate any will you've got because the fact that you've changed addresses doesn't mean that you've got to change your will. But if you buy a property jointly, uh, which a lot of people do, um, that is something you might need to look at in terms of your will and the effect of your will and the effect of the joint ownership and that sort of thing. Yeah, because it's only quite a small box on your transfer deed which says how do you wish to hold the property as joint tenants or tenants in common. However, if you were to have a carefree planning will or a will that includes a life interest trust or a right of occupation, by having by holding your property as joint tenants, that will null any effect of the will because it will automatically pass to the survivor yeah. via the right of survivorship. Absolutely, absolutely. And we won't dwell too much on the difference between joint tenants and tenants in common, um, partly because we've had so much other important news that we've had to dwell on today. But also we've done a, a, quite a big segment on that in a podcast that David and I did, which would be of great value to any aspiring trainee solicitors or legal students out there if they want to listen to that then they can learn all about joint tenants and tenants in common and the difference we love doing those wills don't we where there's carefree planning and there's a trust for that we those are top wills that we love doing lots of those but if you are joint owners of property and we've changed the joint ownership of your property to tenants in common because we've recommended and you've gone for one of these carefully planning wills life interest trust that's you know the sort of thing you've been talking about if you then sell that property and then you buy another property jointly and you buy it as joint tenants that's going to give you a different outcome than the one you actually want with your fabulous will that we've prepared for you so that's a time that you want to at least review your will isn't it you buy that new property jointly review your will speak with your lawyer uh, who prepared your will um, uh, make sure the two things marry up with one another. The other thing you mentioned as well was um, what other things might happen that aren't necessarily life-changing but might make you want to review your will is if you did your will during COVID. So if you did one of those remote witnessed wills or you did a will through layers of glass and we weren't maybe helping you with the execution of your will through layers of glass, you might want to come back and have a look just to check it's all fit for purpose if you're worried that the will may be challenged i think that would be definitely something to consider and also just that you've made it kind of in normal circumstances so emotionally and yes. you're more aware of what you're doing so for example kind of grief can affect your ability to write a will so with covid yeah. and social isolation and things so you may create the will exactly in exactly the same terms but at least it would be easier to show that you were doing that of sound mind yeah all of those points are potential grounds of or a bit of a lever into challenging a will aren't they if if that's something that might happen after you've gone so absolutely um yeah okay so we're always saying do a will not enough people do wills so we're always saying do that but uh, as important keep your will under review don't just put it away and never come back to it for years and years and years, three to five years or some life-changing event or something. And I suppose if anything happens to any of the people within your will, such yeah. as your, if you've only appointed one executor in the will and then he dies, yeah. they die, yeah. um, then unless you wanted to be one of the residuary beneficiaries, 
then you could look at to make life easier at the time you could replay um, create a new one with a new executor excellent okay so 4th to 10th of march that's the week uh, that there'll be just loads of stuff in the media about this uh i can imagine there'll be programs on the telly carnivals in the streets <laughs> Uh, all sorts of things on the radio, songs released, um, uh, questions asked in Parliament. So look out for that. Um, and that will keep you going until the next time uh, Amy and I get together uh, to do another podcast <laughs> and update you on more exciting hot, developments. More hot news. Hot news <laughs> from the world of private client, yeah. Thanks to Edward and Amy for sharing their expertise. Yet more proof lawyers don't bite. If you have a legal issue you'd like me to put to our team to cover in an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversation useful, please remember to follow or subscribe on your app so you're notified of new releases when they come out every Monday. Speak to you next week. That was the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.